0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Happy Holidays Merry Christmas to all of you and around my household. We sort of still think of December 26 as kind of a continuation of Christmas, so we're still kind of in the holiday cheer here, the... uh, The Christmas tree is still on the desk, and we're still doing all that kind of stuff. But we're also very serious about football and the big game that's coming up on Saturday. So we wanted to be here today to set the stage for the rest of the week and talk about everything that's going to go down in the build-up to go for two in 22, the chance to do that on Saturday, to continue that mission, continue that goal against Ohio State. And I was trying to think about how I wanted to kind of set the stage, what the rest of the week is going to be like. And I guess I kind of want to begin this way that many of you know I've been a Georgia football fan for my entire life, and yet in addition to that, I've also been a sports fan living in Georgia. So while primarily my you know fandom and my passion has been with Georgia football, I mean I grew up cheering for the Braves and cheering for the Falcons and cheering for even the Hawks. You know the other sports teams exist here in the state that have existed for the totality of my lifetime, and in a roundabout way. I think there is something in some respects that has kind of weirdly connected all of these different sports organizations, franchises and and, and, and teams. And I think it's kind of a mindset that has almost been a little bit of a through line through all of these teams right the time I've been alive. It's been this competition against what you might think of as sort of empires. Like think about the worst moment in Braves history, the saddest I ever was a Braves fan. It might very well have been in 1996, a year after the Braves had won the World Series in 1995, going up against the true empire in baseball, which was the New York Yankees. No one's won more World Series than the Yankees have, Uh, and the Braves had a chance to kind of topple that empire in that World Series right then. They had a 2-0 lead in the series, as you know, many of you do anyway, and then over the course of the next four games, it all just sort of fell apart and the Braves lost to the Yankees. I would dare say that's probably my saddest moment as a Braves fan. Georgia going I should say the Braves going up against that empire and having it kind of fall apart on you and we know for a fact we may debate what the worst moment in Braves history is but we know for a fact what the worst moment in Falcons history is it came against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl Falcons had the 28-3 lead it's the biggest joke in sports of course and it came much like the Braves you know worst moment may have come against the sports biggest empire uh the 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 Falcons worst moment also came against what we now think of as the NFL's biggest empire, the New England Patriots, all the world, uh, the, the Super Bowls they had won under Bill Belichick, and all of that—that—that that, that was the—that's the biggest franchise has become that way in the NFL. And the Falcons' worst moment came against that team, even in a roundabout way. The Hawks, which don't have much of a history of stuff like that, you can go back to Dominique losing to the Celtics in '88. It's kind of an example of hey, big moment for the team, and it turned out to be a loss against the recognized empire in that sport and this is one of the things that makes georgia's national championship last year so special it was an example of what oftentimes the braves were incapable incapable of doing or the Atlanta Falcons couldn't do against the Patriots, or, you know, whatever other example you want to mention, when Georgia won last year's national championship, it wasn't just the first national championship in more than 40 years. In addition to that, it was also the opportunity to topple an empire along the way. Georgia beat Alabama, and I don't have to tell you, especially, and this is one of those things, whether you'd be a young Georgia fan or an older Georgia fan or whatever else, we all have the kind of same shared memories on this. The you know the 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 SEC championship loss in 2018 or the national championship loss in 2017, the, the, the SEC championship loss in 2012. We can all kind of point to some of these heartbreaking moments for Georgia that came against Alabama. So when you won the national championship and you toppled the empire to do that, there was just something really special about the fact this great moment came against such a hated and in some cases respected and revered, but also just that, that foe that you'd kind of grown so fatigued by being compared to over the course of the long haul. And yet, when you fast forward to this year, and we've been talking about this over the course of the last 12 months, that now Georgia's become the team not trying to, to, to get over the hump and finally win a national championship. Now, Georgia as a team is trying to go and win another national championship. It's go for two in 22. You've heard us talk about that, right? And as Georgia tries to go for two in 22, you sort of get the sense the, that the conversation is somewhat shifting this is no longer about toppling an empire. The empire has been toppled. George beat Alabama last year. This year, Alabama lost twice in the regular season. They are literally nowhere to be found. They may be back and competing for championships again under Nick Saban sooner rather than later, but for now that doesn't really matter. They are not on the scene in the same way they would have been a year ago. What you're left to conclude is for Georgia and for its coach Kirby Smart, there are no more empires left to topple. And the only thing that seems left to accomplish is to actually build yourself into the empire for you to become the college football version of what the Braves once looked at when they saw the Yankees or what the Falcons once looked at when they saw the New England Patriots, what the Hawks once looked at when they looked at the Boston Celtics, these teams that became the perennial winners year after year, after year, after year, that is the chance that Georgia can go after here right now. That is the opportunity that awaits them. That now that they have conquered the empire, they did that a year ago, now they can become the empire. And I'm here to tell you, it's not gonna be easy, but it is what's at stake. That is what go for two and 22 is all about. It's about doing something that has not been done in the college football playoff era. And frankly, in the history of college football, it hasn't been done very much either. Winning back-to-back national championships. But the 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 significance of the moment shouldn't be lost on you, and it shouldn't be lost on me. And I'm happy to tell you, it's not lost on these Georgia players either. They understand, at least many of them do, They seem to understand what they have a chance to do. They seem to have a a, a proper perspective of the kind of rarefied air they can put themselves into if they can now just win two more games. And that's all it's going to take. When we started talking about this back in the summer, it was 15 games. Now it's two. Can you be the best team over the course of the next two games? And if you can... Well, you've an opportunity to do something pretty special. Now, last week we had a chance to hear from a handful of Georgia players, and one of those is Kiaris Jackson. I love hearing from Kiaris because he's always such a great spokesman for this team. He seems to have the proper appreciation for the magnitude of what's about to take place. And he's, I think, been kind of trying to point Georgia in this direction for quite some time. So when Kieras talked at the end of last week or near the end of last week about the motivation that Georgia has for what's about to happen, I think his words ought to resonate with all of us that this is kind of what's at stake. This is what they have a chance to do. And Kiaris, who's always such an articulate spokesman, said it so well last week. Let's hear him right now
1: i feel like this year coming off a conference win i think we'll work harder than we did last year and coming off a loss and it's it's crazy because um people may look at it, oh yeah they're complacent yeah they're they're happy about their win shoot that's just another check check box that we wanted to do one of our goals so i mean our season isn't it's not complete yet we still have goals that we want to reach and the peach bowl is the one the next things we have to accomplish and We're excited that we get that opportunity to play in that game. And just knowing that we're motivated because we haven't completed anything bigger than what we already want. And I mean, S C championship was a big deal, but being able to win a CLP playoff game and a national championship game will be major for us. And just knowing that we're motivated because we want that, that title of knowing that we was able to do something that no... CFL team has been able to do it and has been able to win two back-to-back national championships so that's a major goal for us and um, we're motivated by doing
0: that. When he says CFL what he means is CFP uh, in the college football playoff era we haven't had back-to-back national champions yet and that's what Georgia wants to be and there's an element of what Kiera says there that sort of has the now it can be told factor to it because here's one of the things we heard going into the SEC championship Kirby Smart said this on a Sports Center interview and Various players at different times kind of said some version of this that, oh, we want to win the SEC championship. We want to be SEC champions because that's what last year's team didn't do. And I think there's an element of, well, now that Georgia has won the SEC championship, does it sort of feel like the mission accomplished banner's being hung now of, hey, we achieved something that last year's team didn't do, so therefore we're all done, we're all, we're all finished. And that's not the case. You hear Karis Jackson say that right there, that no, we're still motivated. We're not complacent. And this is one of those things where I think you can now go back and kind of understand a little bit more of what the mission to win the SEC championship was really all about. And by the way, Brad Nessler from CBS Sports was on our show prior to the SEC championship and he kind of hinted at this. I think he was right that the real reason that, that Georgia wanted to win the SEC championship, beyond the fact that, of course, you just want to win the SEC title if you could, but the real reason is is not so they could just say, hey, we were SEC champions last year's team wasn't. But the SEC championship was that step towards being what really hasn't happened very much, to be a 15-0 and national champion as a back-to-back national champion, that that step towards winning the SEC title was not just a box that the previous year's team didn't check, but it sets up the biggest box of all that can be checked. 15 and 0 national champions last year's national championship for georgia as great as it was was a 14 and 1 national championship but this year's team seems to have that motivation of how good would it feel to be a 15 and 0 national champion and how good would it feel for the players who've been able to be a part of both these to be a back-to-back national champion there is this just this new category of history that georgia has a chance to to achieve by winning against ohio state and then beating whoever else comes up after that. So that's what's happening here, is that for those of us who've kind of grown up looking at empires in other places, whether it be New York City or New England or Tuscaloosa or wherever else, the empire might be rising up in sports at that particular time. Georgia has a chance, hold on, uh, Georgia has a chance now to be the next version of that empire Georgia has a chance now to build that version of uh, that in this sport here right now that it is a fun and special time to be a dog fan and none of this is guaranteed we'll talk more about that in a moment none of this is guaranteed but the stakes could not be more clear Georgia is playing for history on Saturday and guys like Harris Jackson seem to understand that my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us as we go for two in 22 here today, getting ready for Ohio State, getting ready for the Peach Bowl, and then in the uh, step towards another national championship on uh, on Saturday against those Buckeyes. And we're talking about that all week long here. Whether you join us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all kinds of video platforms, the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960, the Ref has a podcast. Wherever you find them, the Apple Play or Spotify, all kinds of podcast platforms there as well. Whichever your sort of venue of choice is to listen to our show, we certainly appreciate that, and we appreciate as well our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, they equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors. You hear me talking about that a lot, and a week like this, you realize just how important that is. Because I don't have to tell you this, it has been freezing cold. I remember waking up on Friday morning to come in here and do this show and. Like that wind was just whipping around my house. I mean, you could just hear it. Uh, many of you have had, my mom had a tree fall. Many, many of you kind of had that same thing too. And even if you haven't quite had that, you have experienced this unbelievably bitter cold on the outside of your house. And here's what you, I know you know by now, is when it's that cold, when the cold weather's that stinging and unpleasant you want to keep it on the outside of your house where it's supposed to be. You don't want it kind of getting into your house and kind of creating a draft and that uncomfortable feeling because you've improperly fitted windows and doors. You don't want that at all. And that heat, that expensive stuff that you pay so much for for right now because energy bills are so high. You want that staying inside your house, keeping you and your family toasty and warm this time of year. And that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia can also help you with there as well. Plus, it just looks good. And improving your curb appeal is always a good thing to do. It can benefit you on resale value. It kind of makes you, A good neighbor to the rest of your uh, folks in your community. There, always fun to have a house that looks great on the outside, and that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia can kind of provide for you too. So, I believe it's time for you to have a conversation with one of those Pella experts and talk about the entire line of products available—entry doors and windows and all the great stuff that Pella can provide for you. And you can learn why their product, as I say all the time, has been viewed to be the best by homeowners in the our area. Year after year, survey after survey, it's recognized as the true brand leader in this particular space. So have that conversation. It's a no pressure situation. You just simply learn about what makes Pella better. And you can stop by and visit them in their showroom and their experience center right there in Duluth and put your hands on those windows and doors and kind of feel the difference but also talk about the uh, installation options that are available to you and the great savings opportunities that exist for you as well, including right now, between now and the end of the year, December 31st, you can get a 0% APR for 24 months or 50% off qualifying installation. So I hope you'll check that out here today by going online to Pella of ga.com slash dog nation. That's Pella of ga.com slash dog nation, or give them a call 638 1429. That's 638 1429. Just make sure to tell them that BA from dog nation daily sent you to them because I know they're going to take good care of you. And I can, uh, certainly, uh, uh, trust them to do that for you. So make sure you find them today. Pella of slash dog nation, or by calling six, seven, eight, six, three, eight, 1429. Paddle window and door of Georgia, truly viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to talk to John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. look forward to talking to him about some of the stuff as it relates to Georgia and Ohio State. But as a way of kind of setting the stage for that, I want to go around the doghouse. Around the doghouse today, assisted by friends at AAA. Now, I just spent a few minutes talking about, hey, history can be made. Georgia can become college football's new empire and win back-to-back national championships, kind of set itself apart from the rest of the sport in a way that rarely happens, and all that's true. But here's what I'm also going to tell you too, and this is where, listen, trigger warning here for a moment. I'm about to be a giant buzzkill, and I don't mean to be that way. I really don't. I really don't. But I, I do have to confess one thing. I get the sense that I'm a little bit of an outlier from some of you in terms of the fact that I think some of you and unfortunately I believe this to be incorrectly I think some of you think this game against Ohio State is likely to be easier than it's actually going to be I just do so while I and we'll all recognize hey George can make history George can take a big step towards that George can be 14 and 0 for the first time in program history George can do all of these things but the opponent standing in the way against Ohio State I do think is worthy of your respect And this is one of those things where, when I think about this sport from time to time, I guess the way I put this in my mind is, is that I believe that college football is very easy to project, but not very easy to predict. What does that mean? Well, Georgia's obviously the favorite to win the national championship. We understand kind of, you know, why that is. We can project Georgia as the most likely winner. But projecting them that way, and then actually predicting them to do that. Those two things have a way of kind of feeling very different. In other words, if it was obvious and given that George was going to march towards winning the national championship, we all could become rich right now by simply betting Georgia to do that. Maybe many of you have done that, or some of you have done that. But while it's easy to project George as the favorite, what happens from here is not particularly easy to uh, predict. Because in most cases, the team that has won the national championship in the college football playoff era has made the playoff again the following year. I think we only have two instances dating back 2014, of a CFP national champion getting back to the playoff. And yet, as Kyrus Jackson just mentioned before, while most CFP national champions do get back to the playoff that next year, for whatever reason, something happens to them once they get there in that spot, they kind of lose. And Georgia could have the same thing fall prey to them if they are not careful. And when you look at the game against the uh, Buckeyes coming up on Saturday, the one thing we are told is, by the if you want to go back to the gambling stuff here for a moment, by the point spread, we are told to expect a relatively close game. Georgia's only a 6.5 or so point favorite, about a touchdown favorite, let's just say it like that. Now here's the one thing that we know about Georgia. Georgia does not play very many one-score games. Uh, you know, you had the Missouri game this year a looked closer than it was supposed to be. But for the most part, Georgia just sort of marches through every game and wins, you know, easily, wins handily, wins by two touchdowns or more. It is not very common to see Georgia playing a close game at all. In fact, this year, the games that Georgia had that were supposed to be the closest, maybe you'd say Tennessee, there were some folks even thought Tennessee would win that day. It was actually Georgia that sort of won that game going away and could have, you know, maybe won by even more. The Oregon game at the beginning of the year. That was kind of a nationally known program. It's a ranked matchup. It was probably the high profile game of week one. Georgia obviously won 49 to 3. That when you really go back through your mind and say, well, gosh, how many close one score games has Georgia even had? We had the Clemson game to begin last season. You know, you had the Alabama national championship game that, well, even though Georgia won 33 to 18, it was the score very late in the game that kind of pushed it to that margin. For the most part, that game was kind of played within sort of the one-score, close-game type boundary. And so I think if you're a Georgia fan, I think the right thing to do for this week is is kind of put yourself in the frame of, we are so used to seeing Georgia play these games, which is totally overwhelms its opponent, and it's simply a question of, well, they win by 14 or, or whether they win by 30, you know, that you have to kind of put yourself in the frame of, well, actually – what does a close game feel like? You know, you know, how is a close game? How is a, a a game with a smaller margin of victory and therefore a smaller margin for error? How does a game like that feel different than the other kinds of games that Georgia's played? And by the way, even like playoff game against Michigan, that wasn't very close. That, that, that for whatever reason, Georgia has a tendency just not play very many close football games. And part of that's because they've been so good. But Experts are projecting Georgia to win on Saturday, but by a closer margin than it's used to winning. And maybe they'll be wrong. Sometimes they are. But if that is the case, if this game is a little bit closer, then what's going to be different about that than most of these other games? And here's what I believe that if Georgia is on its way to winning on Saturday, but the game is actually a little closer than I sort of perceive some Georgia fans to think it will be, then to me, this kind of comes down to. Go back to the Clemson game. That was a close game that Georgia won at the beginning of uh, last season. What was the difference in the game? Christopher Smith had a pick-six interception for a touchdown. Okay, so that is what happens in these closer, you know, smaller margin of victory, smaller margin for error type games. You have a player step up and make a big play at the exact right time, and that's the difference between winning and losing. And so as you start thinking about – this game against Ohio State and if we believe for a moment the experts would say hey Georgia may only win this game by about a touchdown and therefore it may be close throughout the entirety of the game then you start asking the question of well who is it'll step up and play the biggest in the biggest moments who is it that'll avoid the mistake who is that it'll make the big play who is that it'll be this year's version of Keely Ringo who got the interception when Georgia really needed it when Alabama was potentially I mean we forget this that that Ringo gets the interception Uh, And that leads to the touchdown that puts the game on ice against Alabama. But that doesn't happen. Who knows? Maybe Alabama's driving to kind of do something there late in that game. The Ringo interception prevented that. He played big when Georgia really needed the big moment. Christopher Smith played big when Georgia really needed the big moment who will be the big player to make the big play in the biggest moment for Georgia against Ohio State? Well, one of those candidates you might say is Stetson Bennett, uh, given the fact that he's you know MVP of the Sugar Bowl, was MVP of last year's National Championship on the offensive side, MVP of last year's Orange Bowl, and what my colleague Jeff Centella has kind of called the, the, the stage games, the kind of games where they roll out the stage to celebrate the winner, and everybody stands on the platform to watch the confetti come down. In games like that, Bennett has been big for uh, Georgia here, the uh, last few times out, but that's the example of the kind of big plays and big moments that it's going to take to win a game like the one that Georgia's about to play when uh, Georgia tied in Brock Bowers, who, by the way, also has the capability of playing big in those big moments. When he spoke to reporters last week, he kind of talked a little bit about what makes Stetson comfortable in situations like this. This is what Brock Bowers had to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously he's showing
0: up big, uh, and that comes through all the preparation that we do.
1: And, uh, I mean, it's just like kind of his uh, – his personality to show up in these bigger games and be able to perform on the biggest stages.
0: I like the way that Brock Bauer says that, and let's kind of pull this out and make this about more than just that's a minute here right now. He, What was the phrase he used? The personality to step up big in big games? Because here's what we know. In some respects, it's kind of easy to be a little bit of a front-running type player. I'm not saying it's easy, but you you can imagine being comfortable in a game in which you have a big lead, in which the the individual moments aren't quite so maximized, in which there is just a little bit more margin for error. That there's a certain kind of player that might thrive in a situation like that, that might not thrive as much in the scenario where one mistake can really cost my game, uh, cost my team, or. I have a chance to, to go out and make history by doing what Keeley Ringo did last year against the Crimson Tide. Do I really trust myself to be able to do that? Do I have enough self-confidence to be able to kind of put myself on this big of a stage and thrive in that moment? Those are just two different kinds of playing personalities. Uh, Brock Bauer says this about Stetson Bennett, but it's true of far more than just Bennett. There's a certain personality type that says, this moment's not going to be too big for me, and this stage is not going to be too big for me. I am ready for this. And if Georgia is truly in one of those kinds of games against Ohio State, the way that the odds makers would suggest that it will be, then it's the personalities of the players who are comfortable in the big moments who have the best opportunity to thrive, and frankly, who Georgia will be dependent on to thrive in a situation like this. So the bottom line for me on all of this is, you know, uh, Bowers talks about Bennett in a situation like this, but it's going to be more than just Stetson Bennett who's required to kind of get it done. I think we should all be preparing ourselves for the kind of game that feels a little bit different than Georgia has typically played, even if the result, Georgia winning, is the exact same as the previous 13 games have been and all the games last year that were very much like that the same way. Georgia may very well win, in other words, but the pathway towards victory might feel just a little bit different than most games have over the course of the last two years. This one could be a little closer. This one could be a little tighter. This one could be a little more nerve-wracking late than you're used to. Be prepared for that. Don't be overconfident, and let's be ready to see which Georgia player potentially puts themselves into the uh, historic category, much the same way guys like Keely Ringo did last season. That is around the doghouse, and it's presented today by our friends at AAA. And of course, a lot of you doing holiday travel this time of year—you're going to see relatives, or you're going on vacation, or something along those lines. And when you do, I hope you have that AAA membership card with you as you go. But I also want you to think about AAA for more than just their legendary roadside assistance. I want you to think about them as a great option for your insurance needs there as well, including home insurance. And unfortunately, we know there are some folks who are going to be making a home insurance claim after a weekend like this where trees were falling, where really uh, you know, intense winter weather creates pipes that burst and things like that, that. All of a sudden, some folks who maybe want to be thinking about Christmas and holiday time and things like that are actually thinking about their home insurance in a way that Maybe they have not in quite some time. I hope that's not you, but if it is, I hope you have a, a reliable insurance company like AAA that can really provide some great things for you and do a lot of things throughout the course of your time with them that make you very glad to have AAA as your home insurance provider, including claim forgiveness. I think this is really neat. So AAA is going to forgive your first claim uh, when you've been insured and claim-free with insurance to AAA for five years. Just one of the ways in which they're looking for clever ways to kind of help you save you money and be glad that you've got AAA as your insurance provider. And so one of those is the claim forgiveness options. I hope you'll check that out and all the other features and benefits that come your way when you get your home insurance through AAA. So check out more at AAA.com slash homeinsurance. That's AAA.com slash homeinsurance. You can also give them a call, 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075 to find a branch near you. Great to have AAA assisting us with Around the Doghouse here today. All right, before we're done, uh, Georgia defensive lineman Zion Logue has said some interesting things about what he sees when he looks at the Ohio State offense. And I would say there are a lot of Georgia fans that hope what Logue is saying is true we will talk more about what that is a little bit later on. We'll also set the stage for the rest of the bowl season, including the other big CFP matchup to take place at the end of this week between Michigan and TCU. We will do all of that before we're done. But for now, on everything as it relates to Georgia and Ohio State, let's keep the conversation going with our buddy John Stinchcomb, the great former UGL American, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC, or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. I am so tangled up in all my courts over here. This is one of those days where I'm all tangled up to be, uh, as much as anyone can be. John, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to have you with us. Sorry about my little bit of. Uh, Delay there, trying to figure out what's going on with my uh, court situation. But Merry Christmas. Happy to have you with us. Hope you had a wonderful time with your family. And I guess let's kind of keep the conversation going here a little bit that I was just having. When you look at Georgia and Ohio State, I think there's some fans that are just kind of used to watching Georgia just marching through every opponent. And the sense that I've gotten as of late is that there are a lot of Georgia fans who kind of think they'll do the same thing to Ohio State. And while I expect Georgia to win this game, I guess I do expect it to be a little closer than maybe a lot of the populace around Dog Nation seems to think. So, let me start with that, then I want to ask you a question beyond that. How much of a threat and a challenge do you think the Buckeyes provide for Georgia here this week?
2: Oh, I think they provide a huge threat. Before the Ohio State-Michigan game, I would say that the matchup that would scare Dog fans most is Ohio State, and it's because of their firepower offensively. Uh, They've got a Heisman caliber quarterback in a wide receiver room, even without Smith and Jigba that is one of the best in the nation. So you watch Marvin Harrison Jr. and Fleming and those guys on the outside, the way they play, um, they give a number of defenses trouble. And um, as a roster, uh, it's one that they've recruited well, similar to Georgia, and they've got some guys in that locker room that can play at a really high level. So, I think prior to that Michigan game, there was almost a consensus that the number two team in the country behind Georgia is Ohio State and um, matchup wise, I think there's probably still some validity there. You look at the way Michigan plays, and quite honestly, that doesn't scare me or or, or threaten Georgia and the way they are set up as a team quite as much as Ohio State. So I think there's some legitimacy to um, that that recognition that Ohio State is a formidable foe. With that said, we do have that data point included that Ohio State, in their mashup in, against Michigan, that they weren't able to stay, stand up against the test of a, a balanced offense that can run the ball pretty efficiently, and Georgia certainly qualifies as, as that type of opponent. So uh, I think there's... Uh, Le- legitimate reasons why you would think georgia is the favorite and uh for you to be a little bit skeptical to think that this is going to be a walkaway game i most of these heavyweight fights and and i expect this to be another um you have to you know slug it out for two or three quarters before uh you get into that fourth and, and try to hope to create some more separation and and i think very much that this could be in a game that falls into that category
0: so as a player yourself and over the course of a long career you played a lot of different kinds of games tell me this how does a one score game how, how does a close game feel different than the kinds of games that georgia has been playing because frankly over the course of the last two years georgia won one game this year by fewer than one score uh georgia only won one game last year by less than one score now they did lose a game last year in the national championship even though they won by 15 kind of you know the the game mostly felt like a one score game for most, you know, of of that time. And yet nonetheless, we're talking about two years worth of data with Georgia playing, you know, very few games that are very close at all. But how does the body kind of react, you know, tighten up a little bit? How how does the heart beat a little faster when you are in a closer game where every moment, whether it be good or bad, is just magnified more? How will this feel different to these Georgia players if it is closer than most of what they've been playing over the course of the last two years?
2: Well, first is margin of error. Uh, You know, you you play in those blowouts and and you can let up your focus a little bit and and still feel like, you know, if if we don't execute on this play, then it's not life or death. And you get into these close games and you realize that every matter, every moment matters. And I think that's to to Georgia's benefit. They've played in a number of big games, even if they weren't close, and um, had that mentality of this play counts, this play counts, this plays counts consecutively until they didn't. Right. And um, you you look at some of the closer games from other opponents. And what I see that happens for those that kind of falter in those moments is you start to press almost too hard. And usually it comes from uh, someone who's touching the ball, either a quarterback that's trying to force it and make more plays than, either he's capable of or the play itself is giving him an opportunity to execute on. And when you start to force, when you start to press because you feel the pressure of the moment, you know, mistakes happen. Whereas the good teams, they feel equally as comfortable in those moments because they, they believe in their execution. And um, there are some times where if it's not there, the smart play is the smart play. And, the teams that aren't familiar with those moments, you say, Oh, I have to force, uh, force something. And, and that's where you see errors defensively. You know, guys are jumping routes and all of a sudden you're saying, why is a wide receiver becoming this open this late in the game or offensively? Why did he make that throw? Or why is that uh, ball carrier forcing, you know, trying to gain an extra yard or two and uh, a turnover happens. So I think what the, what the good teams do in those high-pressure moments, in those late games where the game is still close, is they realize that focus has to be at a premium, and you have to execute and you have to uh, remember what, what the game plan is and, and what your role in executing it is, but you don't press. And, and what young teams, what inexperienced teams do in those situations is they press and force, uh, and really what it happens is, is you force yourself into more mistakes than you do uh, those big time plays late in the game. So I think that's the the distinguishing factor from some of those teams that really execute well in those late game moments.
0: So to kind of keep the theme alive that I was kind of addressing before, of maybe some people sort of inflating the ease with which I think that Georgia you know will win this game on Saturday kind of go along that a little bit more it's hard to deny the comparison between Ohio State this year and Georgia a year ago where Georgia was coming off a loss in its most recent game and it's easy to forget this now because Georgia won against Michigan won against Alabama but there was a good bit of doubt surrounding Georgia going to that Michigan Orange Bowl game a year ago and Georgia obviously you know emphatically answered those doubts I'm not suggesting that Ohio State's about to do the same thing, but they do find themselves in kind of a similar emotional position where their motivation is obvious here. They've tasted defeat, they've been criticized, and pretty clearly, you would assume as competitors, they're going to be chomping at the bit to come out and kind of correct the record that has formed around them after another loss against Michigan. Maybe they will do that, maybe they won't, but to me, it's obvious the fact that Georgia's 13-0, and Ohio State lost its most recent game, that is clearly in my mind coloring perception here that people are just deflating ohio state because they've lost and by comparison they're inflating georgia because they've kind of keep winning but before the season began A lot of these same people thought Ohio State was going to be better than Georgia. Like, What do you make of the perception game here, in other words, that at one point in time a lot of folks seemed to think the Buckeyes were better than Georgia, they were ranked ahead of UGA to begin the season, and now some of those same people have almost completely flipped their opinion simply on the basis of Ohio State losing its most recent game. How does all of that factor in the way that you view a game like this on Saturday?
2: Yeah, funny. I mean, it's feast and famine with fans and media where – it's either the times or the best of times or the worst of times, and, and never is it subjected to actual rational rationality and reason. Uh, Ohio State's a very talented team, and I expect this to be a close game uh, with Georgia coming out on top and moving on to the national championship. But Ohio State is a formidable foe, and they are a highly talented team. They've got a number of playmakers offensively and defensively. And now there's motivation that comes into play. And for those that are like, oh, motivation, why aren't you motivated all the time? Well, I get it. But what, what it does for players is say, uh, we still have something to prove here. It's the same. We had this conversation a couple weeks ago, B.A., about the defensive back in, in Georgia's locker room coming out of that SEC championship. Yeah. A talented group that didn't play their best and, now there's something to prove so you've combined that same mentality of we've got skill and we've got motivation and you raise the level of play and that's what Ohio State is hoping for on a team wide level is you know our our last opportunity on a big national stage we faltered we we stubbed our toe we didn't play well against Michigan especially in that second half and got exposed a little bit and that hurts the pride across the program and you're able to say that stuff that that we got away with in those games that were just superior talent wise you can't get away with in these moments and so um, it, it is a factor I think it is very real to think that Ohio State uh, is taking some umbrage to the national coverage of this game saying seven point underdogs for, for us despite this Michigan game is an insult and we need to go out there and prove that we are arguably one of the best teams if not the best team in the country and now it's Georgia's challenge to show that the little things haven't slipped and they they are the very best in the country and can prove it against anyone and Ohio State is in my opinion that that barometer for this season i think they're they pose the biggest threat for Georgia, um, and, and that's in one hand, and the other hand is I still think that Georgia's head and shoulders is the best team in the country. So this is the, the equivalent of a national championship-level game in the, in the semifinal round.
0: I want to talk about the venue here for a moment. First of all, kind of a simple question, is there any benefit to – the thing we keep saying is knowing the building, right? Georgia plays and Mercedes has been staying a lot. If Georgia were playing Ohio State in like say Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, that's a building that Ohio State knows a lot because that's where the Big Ten title game always is as a player is is there something to I mean I guess maybe this is more true for like say kickers maybe but is there something to knowing uh, a building baseball players seem to hit better in some ballparks than others but as as a player yourself maybe it's an offensive line you'd say all I'm doing is just smashing you know into these big dudes on the other side maybe that's the same no matter where you're playing but is there is there something to being familiar with the stadium that you're playing does Georgia benefit from that against Ohio State
2: uh, yes, in a couple ways. One, this is the third game they've played um, in the Mercedes-Benz Dome this season, so you're not, you, you know, you're not concerned with is this going to change up my routine or what's the footing or do I have the right shoes or you know what's the lighting light on punts? They've checked all those boxes a number of times. Um, the, the, the second thing is we can't lose sight of this venue is. An hour away from campus, yeah. and I, though Ohio State travels well, I still feel like this is a huge advantage for Georgia in that it not only the familiarity feel like a home game, but the crowd. Um, there is an expectation that Georgia is going to be well represented, and it's because the game's in Georgia, and uh, I, I think that's both huge advantages. Um, you know, most of the domes these days there is you know, very little variance in field quality and locker room quality and all those things, yes, I get that. There's you know, a, a locker room is a locker room. The field's still 100 yards long and 53 wide. I, okay, but um, just the comfort in that environment as you prepare for the game I think allows you to kind of relax in some areas, and focus where it needs to be and you know there, to me that's the biggest thing in sports is your ability to minimize distractions and focus on what matters and when it's a you're in a comfort zone you're able to do that at a much higher level
0: and also i've kind of expressed this a couple times over the last few days and a lot of my crackpot theories end up not being true but one of the theories i have right now is for a number of different reasons I think they're going to end up being fewer Ohio State fans in the stadium on Saturday than some folks maybe anticipated. I was kind of on guard, uh, John, for this to be like, hey, biggest game of all time. And, you know, Georgia fans are obviously trying to fill, you know, the, the building because it's close to home and they just love their team. And Ohio State fans, it's this huge fan base, a lot of Buckeyes that live in Atlanta. And I sort of expected the same level of passion on the Ohio State side. And to be frank, John, I'm not seeing it. And Maybe I end up being wrong about that. And maybe like right before the game, you know, Buckeyes kind of show up in big numbers. But I am sort of anticipating this being a very large home field presence for UGA. I think the only thing that would stop it is if a bunch of rich folks in Atlanta who just don't have a tie to either team, if they're the ones that scarf up the tickets because sometimes these big games sort of feel a little bit corporate and not quite so college football-y, maybe that would prevent this from happening. But the honest truth is I sort of feel like this is going to be a pretty big Georgia home game on Saturday. That's what I'm expecting anyway.
2: Yes, and I think there's other factors that are included in that. One, I think the expectations for an Ohio State fan were dampened because of the Michigan game. Two, I think the uh, realization for Georgia fans of going, uh, I might might have spent a chunk of money heading out to Indianapolis last year, probably might want to conserve a little instead of going to L.A. for a national championship this year this might be a really good opportunity for me to see Georgia play one more time uh, in the college football playoffs in my backyard. So there's motivating factors for Georgia fans to scoop up some tickets here for the Peach Bowl. And you've probably removed some of that motivation for Ohio State fans. Now, with that said, I don't expect it to be as lopsided as it was in the SEC championship where you know, I I don't know what you would estimate the LSU fan total to be in that dome was, right. but it was very lopsided. Great I, point. I don't expect 50-50, and I don't expect uh, the Georgia dominance in, in numbers fan-wise in the SEC game, but I still expect a majority of the fans to be... Um, calling
0: for the dogs that's a great point there will probably be more Buckeyes than there were LSU fans in December I think you're right about that but still I'm assuming kind of a decided advantage in favor of Georgia that's a really good point let me finish with this John um and then, maybe I've asked you this before, but I want to revisit this because of what we're going to hear from Zion Logan in a moment. The comparison between Ohio State offensively and Tennessee. Now, the football X's and O's expert will say, oh, it's not the same thing at all because Ohio State runs their offense this way and Tennessee runs its offense it, You know, this way. Schematically, they are quite a bit different. We'll stipulate that. But it is high-powered quarterback, team that scores a lot, very, very good wide receivers. So understanding the two sides of the coin here, schematically very different, results wise kind of similar near the top both are in terms of yards per play and touchdown scored and all that kind of stuff how much comfort do you take that the only time this year that Georgia's faced an offense that sort of looks like Ohio State Tennessee Georgia really handled business that day how much comfort should a Georgia fan take into take from that going into this game against the Buckeyes
2: well I I think couple things come into play our secondary played exceptionally well they were put in strained and stressed situations schematically and answered the bell consistently against Tennessee Uh, the second thing is it's a big game a big atmosphere and our players obviously didn't cower in that situation they they understood the matchup and it's similar in for Ohio State to win they're going to have to be effective offensively. I think that's the the storyline everyone's aware of heading into this game of C.J. Stroud and these wide receivers. um, Can they stress this defense? And um, Georgia against Tennessee was able to answer that call, uh, given that it's a high game against a high-powered offense. So those similarities are in play. Now, with that said, one of the key factors i think when i think back of the georgia tennessee game is the amount of pressure that georgia was able to get on the quarterback in um one on, and, and leave their secondary in one-on-one situations and in my evaluation i think this ohio state especially their tackles are are better than what tennessee has so it might um you know i, I think that dynamic is a little bit different and the ability to get to Stroud and not give him the time, I think is going to be a big factor. How can we pressure the quarterback um, and not give him the time? You look at the last time Georgia lost and that was against Alabama and you had a very capable quarterback with wide receivers that were, um, you know, I think the word elite gets thrown around a while, uh, a lot, but for that group, it certainly was applicable. And, I think that's what the the threat, the scare, the fear is for Georgia is if you give a very capable quarterback time with wide receivers that can create space on their own, that's a problem. Georgia was able to eliminate that by not giving the quarterback time against Tennessee Um, and we will need to find ways to get that accomplished again against Ohio State because C.J. Stroud and, and... harrison jr and fleming all those guys you give them time and it's going to be a problem no matter who
0: you are so i was going to let you go but you brought up something that i want to respond to and i promise i'll let you go after this john so you mentioned something (laughs) about you know getting to the quarterback against ohio state and one of the things in getting ready for this game that i've been a little bit surprised at is how few sacks ohio state's allowed this season i believe they've only allowed eight and obviously you're not watching ohio state as close as you're watching georgia so maybe we don't know the answer to this but when you have seen the Buckeyes, is that because guys like Paris Johnson Jr. is really good offensive lineman? Is that the pace with which Ohio State plays? Getting rid of the football, not giving a pass rush a time to get to the quarterback? Kirby's talked about that this year. You know, is that about C.J. Stroud and his mobility, keeping plays alive and not letting would-be pass rushers get to him? What do you see when you've seen Ohio State that kind of shows why it is they've done such a good job of keeping C.J. Stroud off the ground this year?
2: Yeah, a couple things from what I've seen is one, they don't they don't have many self-inflicted wins. So very rarely have I seen busted protections up front. They're on the right guy, um, and and they play with exceptional tackle play. Paris Johnson, I remember him coming out of high school. Yeah. You can ask Sintel to bring up uh, some old footage, but he was. Uh, he was one of those guys that was just truly dominant in high school. And you think, I wonder how this is going to translate. And it's translate pretty, pretty well. Uh, because yeah. he plays at a, a really high level and both tackles do. So um, they've got talent up front. Uh, they get on the right guy pretty consistently. Very rarely do you see them make mental errors where you got a guy coming free and, you know, guys are pointing at each other after the play or busted protections and you've got a quarterback that makes really good decisions. So, um, yeah, these schemes, its the schemes are, are what they are these days. A lot of folks know uh, and run very similar packages, and Ohio State is no exception. But the ability to process uh, what the defense is doing, go through your progressions and get the ball to where it's supposed to be, C.J. Stroud does it, does it at a really high level. Now, his athleticism is – for those plays where you do get get home or or affect the pocket he's able to extend and and make those plays but i think what it really starts uh with for this ohio state offense is high level offensive play specifically at the tackles but they don't make many mistakes two cj stroud makes uh, really good decisions and three when the play breaks down he's able to have uh or execute with his athleticism extend the plays and Make them right when they're wrong, and um, that's why you look at this this late in the season. Statistically, they're one of the most uh, effective offenses, and in protecting the quarterback, and uh, you know, it starts up front, but they work really well with
0: one another and complementary in that fashion. John, it's an excellent breakdown. I appreciate that. Obviously, we're enjoying the Christmas season, so. I wish to you and your family a continued happy holiday season, great Christmas. Kind of, I, I like the day after Christmas. I love like the, the the leftover food. You, if you're like my house, we have like presents and toys strewn from like pillar to post. I just love the kind of like the excess that just are on display on the day after Christmas. So, John, I hope you and your family are in the midst of enjoying that. But we appreciate you taking a break from that to come talk some uh, football with us here too.
2: Hey, it's always a blessing and a good time to talk about some Georgia football with you. So, appreciate it and go, dogs.
0: Thank you, John. Let's take
2: a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. Yeah,
0: I, I love December the 26th because, listen, if you're like me, you sort of like, you wake up and, I mean, listen, I've eaten so much. And the calories I've consumed over the course of the last few days are really, truly embarrassing. It really is. Um, but you've consumed so many calories you look around it's just like we have in my because i have 11 year old and seven year old so we have toys and like toy equivalent everywhere i mean just everywhere uh my daughter got a trampoline for christmas like not one of those big trampolines like one of those little trampolines and like when i uh got up this morning when i woke up to basically like you know come you know uh, get ready to, to leave i turned the corner and there she is just sort of bouncing on that trampoline like i mean it's just like this is like the great day when you're a kid because now you get just free play and all that it, right it's like you know Christmas Eve Christmas Day you got some responsibilities you're going to be at so-and-so place at so-and-so time and all that kind of stuff on the 26th, you don't have as much of that it's just sort of a day to like just sort of enjoy it and around our house I mean like around here we still got the tree up we got the lights on the uh, tree here in Dog Nation World Headquarters Studios for me you know the uh, 26 still kind of counts as Christmas so hopefully you're treating it that way too now we're getting ready for Ohio State and we're serious about that but you're going to do that with the Christmas spirit still at heart. It's also, I guess, Boxing Day. I have no idea what that is. But uh, nonetheless, if you... can <laughs> kind have that little theme going there uh, a bit, too. Either way, hope you had a great Christmas and happy to have you with us as part of our show here today there as well. We love Christmas, but we also love the weather warming up and being on board a Royal Caribbean cruise line as well. In fact, we got that to look forward to here in the new, new year indeed. So with that in mind, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I'll remind you that... Not only do I personally have the Dog Nation crews coming up in uh, April, April 24th, getting on board Independence of the Seas, but also this past weekend. So this is something we've been working on for quite some time. Now, I could not say this in the show because it was a uh, it was a secret. It was a, It was a Christmas surprise. But on Christmas Eve. We actually gifted my mom. This is me, my family, my brother, his family. We gifted my mom with a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Uh, we're gonna take her on board Independence of the Seas. Big family cruise coming up in June. We're gonna do the three-night getaway there. The Royal Caribbean. If you want the, the, the sort of the short itinerary cruises. You can go on the four-day cruise or you can do the three-day cruise it kind of goes over the weekend so we're gonna do the three-day cruise over the course of the weekend in june with my mom this is one of those things that i think for our family we probably wanted to do something like this for quite some time and you know how it is it's like it's sort of hard to get everybody on the same page at the same time to do this but we thought this christmas for a lot of different reasons was like the perfect time to do this for my mom so me my wife our two kids my brother his wife their two kids. We gave this to my mom for Christmas. So in June, we're all going, the nine of us, going to be on board in Independence and the Seas together. And I just think that's going to be such a great time. And It was such a special thrill for me to watch the excitement of my mom when she opened the, the present on Christmas Eve. I kind of saw what it was and saw what we were going to be doing and You know, I was able to kind of show her some of the stuff that's on board the ship and obviously going to Perfect Day Coco Cay and some of the fun stuff as it relates to that. That was just a really special thing. And I was reminded once again how proud I am to be able to tell the story of Royal Caribbean here on our show uh, each and every uh, day, because I truly believe that same level of happiness can come your way when you tell somebody else, hey, I'm taking you on a royal caribbean cruise vacation so talk to our friend jessica slater she's a great travel agent you can call her 770-718-9147 770-718-9147 she's also the agent specially selected for us by royal caribbean to kind of get the dog nation cruise together too so if you go to the website she's made Royaldogs.com that's once again Royaldogs.com, you can find out about the ship i'm going to be on in june and with all of you in april independence of the seas why it's fun why it's great And you can be a part of your own Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation or the one we're all taking together in April. Time now to act on that. So we'll certainly look forward to seeing you on board Independence of the Seas later on this April or whenever you have a Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation coming up. Now, with that said, we'll transition here and go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And So we're about to get to the moment in which bowl season is going to kind of matter a little bit more than it has. I like what you might think of as the bad bowl games, the one in which you have sort of like Mac team playing Sunbelt team or whatever else. I kind of like some of that kind of stuff. It's just sort of fun to try to make sense of games that are really at face value, kind of nonsensical. I enjoy that. But as we get deeper and deeper into the month of December, you start to get more of the kind of games that take place that have teams that maybe you've seen play more frequently during the year. And so we kind of have that upon us. And as I look ahead to the weeks, I should say the, the, the days that are upcoming prior to Georgia taking on Ohio State on Saturday, I think you see two themes kind of emerging here that are probably worth paying attention to as it relates to the Bulls. Theme number one is this. It's about time for the SECs to start playing a little bit better in some of these bowls. Uh, we saw, what, Florida get embarrassed against Oregon State. I did not think Missouri looked particularly good against uh, uh, Wake Forest and losing the other night. And ultimately, it probably doesn't matter all that much, but, you know... It, it, right now, the SEC is not really doing very much so far in bowl season, at least in the early stages here. So, when you start looking ahead to Wednesday, that's when Arkansas takes on Kansas in the Liberty Bowl. Probably a lot of Arkansas fans there in Memphis is there for that game. Uh, can Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks give you a better showing than SEC teams have given you thus far? Uh, also, start thinking about Ole Miss against Texas Tech and the uh, Texas Bowl. Uh, that's a game that comes up on Wednesday night there as well. Chance for the SEC to start playing a little bit better. And the other thing you'll see kind of emerge as a little bit of a theme here, of course, the next couple of days here, the teams with a bowl win, they can kind of put themselves into a really fun offseason conversation, entering into the 2023 season with a little bit of hype around them. Now, most of the time, the, the team that wins the bowl game and gets hype for the next year, most of the time that usually ends up being kind of unrequited. That that In other words, the hype they get for having won the bowl game ends up not being real and they end up not really living up to that same standard once the next season begins but you think about like say UCF and Duke in the, in the military bowl on Wednesday this is a Duke team that performed really well in first year coach Mike Elko and I would say that Gus Malzahn as the uh the Golden Knights that's what they're called the Golden Knights get it ready to move towards the Big 12 they have a chance going kind of do so there's a little bit of steam the the winner of that bowl game might matter a little bit I think Oregon North Carolina is kind of the same way as it stands right now both the quarterbacks of these two teams returning next season Bo Nick's coming back for Oregon they've obviously put a huge recruiting class together uh Drake may is as of now says he's coming back from North Carolina he's also shot down some of the he got offered five million dollars you know as I say all the time There is a huge difference between what is said on the record what's said off the record and when off the record information ends up being shared as like so like hearsay there's a reason why hearsay is not admissible in court is because what one person says off the record to somebody else it doesn't become a fact just because you heard it so when like someone like Pat Narduzzi goes on a radio interview and says listen I heard that Drake May got offered five million dollars well just because you heard it and now all of a sudden you know You know, the coaches reciting that doesn't make it true. And Greg May has said that isn't true. So right now he's staying at North Carolina. And when uh, UNC and Oregon battle each other in the uh, San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, that's another one of those games that does have the potential of setting the stage for a little bit of hype for one of these two teams going into Next year, I would say the same thing a little bit about the Alamo Bowl between uh, Texas and Washington. Michael Penix, another, another quarterback. I believe Penix has announced he's coming back for Washington next season. Uh, the the Pac 12 actually has a good crop of experienced quarterbacks returning next year, so that should be fun. You get to Friday, you know, you, I think Notre Dame, South Carolina is a really good Gator Bowl. I think that's really fun. And by the way, you talk about being, so you know, yeah, here you go. You got some SEC teams and bowl games. Uh, South Carolina, Notre Dame, and the Gator Bowl is going to be really fun because i mean listen the notre dame team that's on the field for this game is going to be a good bit different when they have next year probably but south carolina sold a ton of tickets for this game a ton of tickets their fans are traveling in huge numbers down to jacksonville because they're the kind of teams that like bowl games because they, they haven't been very good they they love the way they finished the season uh obviously by beating tennessee and by beating clemson so they have a lot of steam going into the gator bowl the opt-outs and the transfer portal impact that a little bit but I think the Gamecocks are actually excited for Notre Dame that should make for a pretty fun game Tennessee Clemson there's tons of opt-outs here obviously a lot of that on the Tennessee side for certain Uh, but nonetheless I still think as an orange bowl goes that's a pretty fun one we know that Dabo said something the other day that kind of got taken as a little bit of a shot against Tennessee he was saying it about uh, about South Carolina the team they're about to play at the end of the season but it's one of those deals about how basically kind of making fun of Tennessee for thinking it was going to make the playoff and then obviously you know got embarrassed by South Carolina he was saying that as a wanting to be ready for South Carolina but now that they're playing Tennessee some people are kind of revisiting some of those comments as making that be a bulletin board thing or whatever else but one way or another that is uh, a very interesting game and frankly I think the future for Clemson is pretty interesting here too so I kind of like that then obviously you get ready for what's going to happen on uh, December 31st, the other playoff game. And i got to tell you, just to be completely honest with you here, I do not yet have a very big, well-thought-out opinion of TCU Michigan. I'm Frankly, a lot of our commenters from time to time will give me their thoughts about the game, and right now I'm as interested in that as I am my own opinion because I just don't know what I see taking place in this Fiesta Bowl as of yet. I mean, part of my issue is, and you've heard me say this before, at least if you watch or listen regularly, I've been wrong about TCU so much, the assumption I have that Michigan's likely going to win and frankly likely to win relatively easily, the assumption I have about that I have to be on guard for the possibility that's not true because of how many times I've been wrong about TCU already this year. So that's kind of where I am. My instinctive belief is that Michigan wins and probably wins fairly comfortably. But given the times in which I've been wrong on TCU this season, when they pulled out wins, I didn't think they were going to get. I have to at least be on guard for the possibility I might not be right about that. So as the week goes on in this space around this time of the show, we're going to try to talk more about that. For now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pedal Window and Door of Georgia, I want to get back to the Georgia-Ohio State talk for a moment. and I want to do so kind of on a springboard of what John and I were just talking about there a moment ago. About Ohio State and how much Ohio State does remind you of the high-powered offense of Tennessee that Georgia shut down a little earlier this year. I think if you're an X's and O's person, you'll say, "Well, they're not they're not the same at all because of how Ryan Day runs his offense differently than the way that Josh Heibel runs his offense." And yet, for the I guess the more you know, for, for a different kind of fan, you'll say, "Yeah, but you know, Tennessee scoring a bunch of points and Ohio State has." You know, throughout the last several years, kind of scored a lot of points. They both are kind of led by their quarterbacks. They both have really, really good uh, wide receivers. There's frankly an element which Georgia fans hope they're viewed similarly because they saw what Georgia did against Tennessee, and you hope you can do the same thing there against Ohio State. Well, the other day, Georgia defensive lineman Zion Logue actually talked about this a little bit. He was asked about who C.J. Stroud kind of reminds him of, and he did mention. Hindenhooker, Hooker, the quarterback for Tennessee, that Georgia put on his back over and over and over again to begin the month of November. This is what Zion Logue said about that the other day. He kind of reminds me of Hinden Hooker.
1: You know, um, he's, a, he's a guy that leads his offense very well. Ball jumps out of his hand. Uh, he knows how to command his offense. And I just uh, I tip my hats on him. He's a very good player. So and of well stuff does he show? He
0: seems like a guy who likes to stay in the pocket anymore. You know,
1: Andy, guys you yeah, most of the time, you know, some guys, they they roll out to they roll out to uh, get extra yards with their feet, but I think he rolls out to uh, pat his stats a little bit and uh, chunk it downfield. So, just really just rallying to the ball, uh, getting guys around him. How
0: many? That last part of that's going to be really interesting because, as I mentioned with John Stinchcombe a moment ago, that if you look at the overall stats, Ohio State's actually probably allowed fewer sacks than you might realize, fewer sacks than I uh, probably realized. And some of that's to the credit of their offensive line, but some of that... Is as Zion Logue was discussing, they are a guy like Stroud who kind of rolls out, keeps plays alive, gives himself a chance, buys time for him to uh, make a throw. Uh, that's something that C.J. Stroud's really kind of proven capable of doing, and that's what George's going to contend with in this game. Because to be truthful. Is that the thing that you loved most about the Tennessee game if you're a Georgia fan was the relentless pressure they put that day on Hendon Hooker. Georgia really had not shown that much coming into that game, and there may be all kinds of reasons why that wasn't true. Kirby had talked a lot about the way in which other teams were getting rid of the football quickly, making it hard for Georgia's pass rush to get there. And maybe that was true. I'm certainly not smart enough to dispute that but against Tennessee he somehow magically when they really needed the pass rush Georgia figured out a way to do that and they looked a lot like the 2021 team with the way they got after uh, Hinton Hooker there that day and I would say that you've got to try to find some way to do that against Ohio State there as well but as Zion Loke says the trick is is that C.J. Stroud's rolling out he's trying to buy time he's trying to keep plays alive he's trying to put his body in a position where it makes it more difficult for the Georgia pass rusher to kind of get there. And then more from uh, Zion Logue here for a moment on the idea that the the Ohio State and Tennessee offenses are somewhat similar, if not quite schematically, at least on the basis of results. Here's more from Logue on that topic. Very similar. Just, just uh, by how
1: everybody's talking about their their receivers, their quarterback, how they were coming in as one of the top uh, scoring deep uh, offenses in the country. Um, it's, very, it's a very similar week. Uh, we kind of attacked it a little bit, uh, very similar. So – really just really just
0: try to work on us a little bit so i guess the one thing i sort of feel like i see is i kind of choked about this scoring of the game against tennessee you may remember me saying this like how in the world is Jalen hyatt so damn open all the time he's you know, like every, every single touchdown he had it looked like he was the only player on the field like there wasn't a defender within 20 yards of him i guess i don't quite feel like i see the same kind of stuff from marvin harrison jr that's not a, a shot at harrison he's a terrific player but I sort of feel like I see him making more along the lines of like a contested catch or kind of a catch in traffic or something like – like visually, I would say that Harrison and Hyatt do to me look like very different players, uh, but obviously the results have been similar. One of those things, uh, when you play to Hyatt or, you know, uh, a, a Tillman coming back from injury, you better know where that guy is at all times. And obviously, uh, Ohio State's got some receivers much the same way. Harrison Jr. is the name you probably know the most. But as John Sinchcomb kind of pointed out a little earlier – you know you see a guy like Julian Fleming starting to come into his own now a a little bit too and Fleming's what Ohio State kind of always seems to have Brian Hartline's done an amazing job of recruiting that position for Ohio State former five-star and he'd kind of been out of the headlines for a couple of years and you're almost left to assume well I guess maybe Julian Fleming is not going to quite be what you thought he might be when he was coming out of high school and getting so much attention as a recruit and you're reminded once again of no, this isn't one of those cases where Julian Fleming's not a good player. This is one of those cases, as we've seen many, many times in the past, that Ohio State just has so many stellar receivers that a guy like Fleming has to be patient and wait his turn for his chance to uh, to thrive. And now he's kind of getting that. That Ohio State is at receiver what Georgia is a lot of position groups too, where the guys who are not playing, they're really good too. And Julian Fleming, kind of an example of that. So here's the kind of the bottom line on this particular discussion. A lot of Georgia fans hope that what Zion Logue is saying turns out to be true because Georgia did shut down the Tennessee offense pretty well. And if there's a similar path to doing the same thing against Ohio State, then obviously that's the kind of thing that would get UGA fans really energized and really excited. But on the flip side of that is there aren't too many teams – in the country that can truly say they play at this explosive of a level it is the one chance Ohio State has they are not going to line up on a per play basis and match Georgia in a lot of areas certainly in the physic, in kind of the physical toughness realm you don't think Ohio State's going to be able to do that but can they make up for some deficiencies there by creating some explosive plays offensively that's what Ohio State fans are hoping is true that's what Georgia fans ought to be on guard for there too Georgia has proven capable of doing this once before they shut down An explosive offense like Tennessee in November, and that's part of the reason why Georgia's in this spot right now. And now they'll seek seek to do the same thing against Ohio State coming up on Saturday. All right, so we obviously got a lot of time to get ready for this in the days to come, and we'll have plenty of coverage, both regular Dog Nation daily, some special stuff in the afternoons, and whenever whenever news breaks, we're going to be there to uh, do it all with you. There's going to be a lot of coverage coming up over the course of the next couple of days. Also, to kind of wrap things up, Let's do some golden shoes here. And some of these are just sort of the traditional Christmas-themed golden shoes, including Bill Sanders, who sends a pretty picture of Ugga with the Santa hat on. Merry Christmas. He says, Merry Christmas, B.A. Go for two and 22. And, Bill, we appreciate that. Merry Christmas right back at you and to all of you there as well. Kevin Daniels sends a beautiful picture of a Christmas tree here, kind of a Georgia-themed tree get the georgia santa hat on top which is i think the same one i was wearing the other day and then all the georgia themed ornaments kevin that's really beautiful but then there was this so on friday speaking of the santa hat i tried to wear the santa hat let me show you this our next golden shoe here uh i tried to wear the santa hat it was uh way too small for my head and i kind of laughed at myself for trying to squeeze that thing around my big head and that elicited a huge response from very uh, from a great number of folks in our audience about what maybe i could do next time to make this a little bit better so let me show you this here for a moment all the various folks. George on tap sends a gigantic Santa hat on top of what looks to be a huge statue of some sort of Bigfoot-looking creature. Uh, maybe I should wear that. Trey in Athens sends uh, a kind of a cool photo of Harry Dog wearing a Santa hat. That hat looks like it might fit me. Trey, I appreciate that. Jermaine King uh, sends the photo of uh, one of the Georgia players. Remember the big hats they were wearing after the SEC championship? Maybe that might fit on my head. East Atlanta Santa Dog also says, sends one of those kind of he kind of transposes the big hat on top of my head there to see how that might look one way or another uh Whatever I was trying to do on Friday didn't quite work, and a lot of folks kind of had some fun at my expense, which is a great way to enjoy the Christmas season indeed. So, Golden Shoes going all the way around on all of that. That is very funny. What's not quite so funny, at least if you're a lousy, stinking gator, is what's coming your way in our Gator Hater countdown. We'll remind you that 306 days from right now, George will be back in Jacksonville beating up on Florida. Can't wait for that. But before then, there is business to be taken care of. We call it Go for Two in 22. We are getting closer. Game week has arrived. So enjoy it. We'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window in Door of Georgia. We will look forward to talking to you then.